Father, how easy it is to sing and give lip service to deep realities that ought to be true in our lives, such as we've just sung, that you are the most fair name we know, that you are more precious to us than silver or gold. Father, we long for that to be true. We recognize how easily our hearts are divided, and we recognize how the simplest of things can distract us in our walk with you. So refocus us today, encourage our hearts, challenge us and teach us from your word. Thank you for the reality of holding the inspired word of God in our hands and receiving a message from you. May you accomplish your purposes in us, I pray, for all for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the maturing of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder if you can relate to one of these or a similar real-life situation or circumstance. It's the very first question on a quiz in your college philosophy class. And the question simply states, yes or no. I have completed all of my assigned reading projects for this course. How about you're 16 years old and you finally have your driver's license? You get to drive to school for the very first time. You've received specific instruction. You are allowed to have the car today, but you must go directly to school and directly home from school. But after school, you're starving. And there really is a way to get home by looping around by sheets. (laughs) Maybe you've been fishing for the weekend and you show up at work and it's lunch break and the guys want to know how big the fish were (laughs) and how many you caught. How about budget renewal time and you're in management and... It's on you to show the productivity and the sales goals. And it has everything to do with next year's budget and your promotions. And in reality, things just don't shape up. But there's a way to crunch the numbers. How committed are you to honesty? How committed are you to accuracy of speech. Once again this Sunday, I am absolutely amazed at the relevancy of Scripture and that there really is nothing we can do to make the Bible relevant to people. The Bible speaks for itself. As you will see in Matthew chapter 5, and I invite you to turn there, indeed, we live in a world where plagiarism is pandemic, Resume realignment is common. Lying under oath has become so obvious, children can see it. Our public leaders, our politicians, even educators, community leaders, company executives have become fluent in falsehood in our country. Distorting the facts is almost expected. 
to misdirect the meaning of words has become an art form. I've gotten to where I have to fight a spirit of skepticism when dealing with common people. People who are in information systems. People who are talking to me over the phone. People who are responding to requests um, as I just carry out the normal business of the church or the home. And as they put me on hold and say, I'll check, I think to myself, yeah, right. It is so common for people just to lie, to get you off the phone. You can feel it, you can see it in their eyes, you can hear it in their voices. It's not a new problem, uh, and in fact, it's not even an uncommon matter among people who are followers of God. As you'll see, as Jesus moves forward in this great message, this Sermon on the Mount, that we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick up for our text today uh, the fourth of uh, what... Uh, Bible students call the antithesis, the antitheses. It is, it is an opposite. It is Jesus confronting the norms of the day. It is Jesus confronting what people accept and believe to be true about their understanding of the law and how they live it out. And it's easy to spot each one of these sections because they begin with some form of you have heard it said or it has been said of old. And then Jesus proclaiming his own deity and authority, the one who writes the scripture adds to the scripture in a sense by saying, but I say to you, and it's with authority that he speaks, it's with the full credibility of deity that he fleshes out the true meaning of the law that has in almost every case become distorted and misused commonly among the people. You need to remember that as Jesus is preaching this message, as he's sharing this discourse, that his audience understands exactly what he's talking about. I'll show you once again what I mean. Let's read our text. It's Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not, verse 36, take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37 is the punchline. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or is of the evil one. Could be translated. It's a short, direct, to the point, confrontation and instruction. And Jesus is punching the audience in the nose once again about a common area of failure. And it just simply has to do with dishonesty. It is interesting, the flow of the context. For one thing, Jesus is putting his fingers on some things that all people deal with all the time. I mean, that's an overstatement, but it's common, isn't it? This normal tendency to just spin things so that we look a little better. To to twist the meaning of words so that we can get out of a tight spot. 
so that we're not quite as embarrassed as we would be if the full truth were laid out. In this context, we began with the Beatitudes, remember? Those who are the kinds of people that God honors and the kinds of people through whom God works. These poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness kinds of people. And in this context, one of the realities that we face is that if if you're living out the Beatitudes, and if the Beatitudes, which this sermon started with in the early verses of chapter 5, if those characteristics are real in your life, then you are not a liar. You cannot live out the Beatitudes and be someone who distorts truth. Furthermore, you see the unfolding of the context that you almost wonder, did, you always have to be careful about what's going on in the mind of Jesus. Of course, he knows everything and he knows the end from the beginning. And is it possible for Jesus to say a sentence better than he could have said it? Is it possible for Jesus to get an outline out of order? Of course not. And so there, there is this unfolding, but you don't want to read too much necessarily into the outline of the message. Because on the one hand, it is almost as though Jesus is speaking and, and these things are coming to mind. And, and one leads to another. And so we've talked about this serious topic, for example, of adultery. And then the topic following that, as we recognize that adultery is a sin of the heart, and though maybe we haven't participated in the physical act, we're just as guilty, Jesus said. Don't get hung up just in the external obedience. God looks at the heart. It's what's going on in the mind and the heart that God really cares about. And it's what's going on in the heart that leads to the living out of sinful behaviors. So if your heart's not right, then your behavior's not right. And so he dealt with adultery, and it's just kind of a smack in the head, you know? And then you can see him moving on in his discourse, and out of adultery, the very next topic was divorce. Well, that kind of makes sense, because if anything brings on a divorce, it's adultery. And then, the next thing is the keeping of oaths. And there's sort of a contextual outline, isn't there? You cannot participate in an adulterous affair and keep your oaths. You cannot participate in sexual immorality and not be a liar. All adulterers are liars. That's just the way it is. You're lying to the person you're with, telling them they mean way more to you than what they mean. You're lying to your wife when you get back home. And if you enter into a divorce, you've broken a huge vow. An oath. And so there is a progression. Not only is this built upon these beautiful attitudes of those who are meek in spirit and those who come to God in brokenness and that the Spirit of God is rebuilding and conforming into the image of Christ and they're living out the Beatitudes. But as Jesus proceeds to give these one-two punches, almost like big smacks upside the head, one after the other, of absolutely exactly what's going on in the culture, both then and now, speaking on terms that couldn't be more relevant, adultery, divorce, dishonesty, and it all just kind of flows and fits together. And so here we are dealing with this topic 
I'd like to break down the passage first and and help you understand it because I want you to see that though Jesus is talking specifically about the keeping of oaths, and then he forbids it in a sense, there are certain sects of faiths or religious groups that based upon this passage have renounced taking any kind of oath. And so when they go to a court of law, they plead a religious uh, conviction, a religious, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, when out of conviction you don't do something, they will not raise their right hand and swear on a Bible because of this passage. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. Because throughout Scripture, we see even God Himself making oaths. But what he's really after is summed up, I think, captured in verse 37, where he's basically saying, let your words be true. And you shouldn't have to swear all over your grandma's grave and a stack of Bibles for people to believe you. Everything you say should be true from the beginning. You're God's people. You're broken in spirit. You've mourned over your sin. You're followers of Christ. He's the way, the, say it, Truth, springing from the very essence and character and holiness of God, is the reality that He can deal with nothing that is false. And so it really is a a powerful reality against which to check ourselves today. Because it's really easy to, to just get in this mode of messing with words. But words really matter to God. I want to show that to you in a minute, but I want you to see in our, in our short text today, first of all, I want you to see that there is, it begins with a reference to specific biblical instruction. Number one, biblical instruction. What is this based upon? Well, we know that in Exodus chapter 20, when he was given the Ten Commandments, that we're not to bear false witness, we're, okay? Thou shalt not lie has been given, but many Bible students believe that that this is a paraphrase, this idea of what Jesus is referencing to his audience is a paraphrase of multiple Old Testament instructions that have to do with vow-keeping. So when Jesus says, again you have heard that it it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, that Jesus is referencing specific verses, and they're right in a row in the Pentateuch. I'll not ask you to turn to it, um, but in, in Leviticus, you have Leviticus 19.12. And many Bible students believe that there's a, a, a loose paraphrase here going on of these Old Testament verses. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. I want you to, I want to read it again and I'm going to put an emphasis on something that is very important in understanding what's going on in the cultural historical context where Jesus is teaching to the first real live audience. I mean, this is real audience and Jesus is teaching us today, not me, but this text. This is a record of his words and they bring instruction to us. But in his, in his um, actual audience, they knew this stuff. The rabbis had taught them this stuff. They had the Mishnah and other books, thick books with small print that interpreted the law for them. And I read some of that to you last week. And they really got obsessed with making sure that technically they were keeping the law. So listen to Leviticus 19.12 again. 
You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. If you turn to the next book, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, Numbers 30, verse 2 says this. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then in Deuteronomy, Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. So the first thing I want you to see is that based upon biblical instruction was this saying of old that the rabbis had indeed ingrained in the public, in the people, in the teaching, in their temples. And it was, you have heard it was said of old and you've been taught this over and over, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform, now let me emphasize two words, to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, that's very interesting, and here's why I've been emphasizing to the Lord, because the second part of unfolding this passage has to do with, number two, a gradual distortion. A gradual distortion. You see, what you need to understand is that what was instructed clearly in Scripture as a vow before the Lord... And to make sure that people spoke the truth, that if you made an oath or if you said you were going to do something, and especially we said in, in the name of God, I will do this, that you better do it. But it had actually become kind of a game that they were playing, some kind of a, a weird religious distortion of the truth, where if they didn't name the name of the Lord and they swore by something else that sounded spiritual, that's the rest of our text. Look what it says. Where Jesus is responding, and this is what I mean, they would have understood exactly what he was talking about. It, it doesn't sound quite right to us. We don't do this. We don't swear by heaven. We swear on our mammy's grave, right? We, we say, stick a thousand needles in my eye or hope to die. When we're going to make an oath. What do you mean? It means I would rather have my head cut off, which is in the news these days. But you get your head cut off if I don't speak the truth. I hope to die. and Stick a needle. Ruin my eyes. The most precious thing about me. So the idea here is, but I say to you, verse 34, do not take an oath either by heaven. And what's that? Well, the audience knew that there was a common oath Formula whereby you would say, I swear to you by the heavens that I'll, and whatever. I'm telling you that based upon the stars of the heaven or the sun in the sky, I'll do this. But did they name the name of the Lord? Ah, oh, they did not. Did you notice that all of the Old Testament verses that I read say, when you make a vow to the Lord. All right, and so here it says, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven because, and let me paraphrase, because even though you didn't name the name of God, the heavens are the throne of God. So don't use that as an excuse to get out of your word or to mislead people or misdirect people. Verse 35, and don't do it by the earth. And the audience would have known these familiar oaths that people made. As sure as the ground you're standing on, I will be there by two o'clock next Thursday. But if I didn't name the name of God... 
well, it was the best of my intention to be there next Thursday, but because I didn't name the name of God, I didn't say it in the Lord's name. I just said it in the earth. According to the earth, you stand upon. It sounded spiritual. It was pretty convincing. The person thought they heard me say that I would be there next week, but I'm going fishing next week and I'm not lying about being there. I never said the name of the Lord. So I got out of it. It wasn't a sin, you see. For it is his footstool. And again, he said, okay, don't name the name of the Lord, but who made the earth? The earth is the Lord's. So what makes that less important, so to speak? And don't, verse 35, by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. They would also, they had some kind of a fine sounding oath where it was common to say, you know, based upon the holy city of Jerusalem, I swear to you that I will pay the rent for next, next, at the end of next month. I can't do it this month. But by the holy city of Jerusalem, I will do this. And oh, la, 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 yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. And everybody, they both know they're lying. Isn't it interesting how people will carry on conversation and act like they're serious and everybody knows they're lying? It's just unbelievable. They sit there and listen to somebody talk and it's lie after lie after lie after lie. And then somebody raises their hand and asks the question, but you said this. Well, I never said that. And then later on, they put it up and they said it. And they know they said it, and everybody knows they said it, and they know they said it, and they know they're lying, and we know they're lying, and everybody just keeps floating down the river. It's like, oh. And it's the same thing back then. Nothing's changed. You think people were different back then than they are today? People are no different. People are people are people. Read the book of Judges. It's the same as what's going on in the world today. People haven't changed one bit. Probably not quite as smart as we used to be. We have more information on hand immediately. And so then he says, verse 36, and do not, and don't say Jerusalem because that's God's city. So it's, it's like, why do you think that gets you out of your oath? And then he says, and do not take an oath by your head. So they would also had an oath that the audience would have heard and understood this oath. I swear to you by my own head, and this is where I meant to say, in other words, I'll lose my head if I don't keep this oath. But they know, and you know, you won't lose your head because you didn't name the name of God. And the Bible says, in the Lord's name, you have to keep the vows. All the other vows are just fine-sounding verbiage, and you can decide whether or not you want to keep your vow. He says, you can use your head as an oath, a, a credible statement in an oath, but... You can't turn the color of your hair, black or white. Some people can, but that's in the footnotes on here. But not really. But not really. And then he just says in verse 37, a radical correction, number three, a radical correction to the mindset of the day. Here's a novel idea, everybody. Here's a really, really radical concept. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Say what you mean and mean what you say, period. Oh. Now, I want to stop right now and I want all of us to be careful not to go into that little self-defense mode right now and say, oh, I don't, I don't really do this. I became very convicted, for example, um, and... Um, almost overwhelmed me at, for an hour one time this week on some things that I remembered that I have told people and I have never done. 
yes, I, I will go visit that person and I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And I haven't done it. I meant to do it. I want to do it. I haven't done it. And you know how that goes, right? Days, then weeks, then months go by. And the next thing you know, really, you're just a liar. And we all have this way about us where there's categories and compartments that we're vulnerable to. Maybe it's our personal pride. Maybe when you're with a certain group of people, men or women, and maybe ladies are at lunch, you know, you're over at Panera and you're drinking your tea and you're eating your sandwich and you're having a great old time and, and you just can't keep up with everything that they're doing and what they're saying and all the stuff that they're into. And so you begin to spin and fabricate what you're all about. Maybe it's parts of the truth. Maybe you're with a bunch of guys and it's hunting camp or whatever and, and you're just vulnerable, particularly to that one group of people. There's guys there that you just don't want them to look down at you. And so you say things that aren't true to present yourself in a certain way. And you distort it and you're dishonest. That's what I mean by don't just click this off and say, oh, I don't have a problem with this. I think we all have a problem with this because remember, remember last week our natural propensity to sin? Remember how we all have this, this negative gravity pull on us trying to get us to sin at all times since the fall? And if you let the Spirit of God wash through you and and open your mind to these truths, I think that you'll realize, you know what? I've been saying this, or I've said this, and it's just not true. Some of us may need to go to some people and ask their forgiveness, and confess this as a sin and a failure, and then start over. So we have the biblical instruction. We see that they were to make a vow. If they made a vow in the Lord's name, that they were... To keep it, and I think the very instruction that we've read is evidence that it's not wrong in a formal setting for like a courtroom to document that I am speaking now and what I'm speaking is the truth. The whole reason we do that is the whole propensity of sin and the sin nature in people to lie. Even the secular world understands that. And then there was this gradual distortion. By the way, flip to Matthew chapter 23 real quick. And before we conclude our message by doing a little bit more of an in-detailed Bible study about how important this really is. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, where Jesus addresses this very thing in a section of Scripture that is very powerful, where He's pronouncing these woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. In other words, you're condemned. And it comes through what I've been telling you about this this gradual distortion and this uh, realignment of what defines truth and what, what is a lie. And Jesus is into correcting it and that there is no room for dishonesty. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 23. Woe to you blind guides, talking to the Pharisees, who say, and here's an example, here's some examples of what they would say. If anyone swears by the temple... It is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold on the temple, then he's bound by his oath. You see all these weird little rules they were making up? I swear to you by the temple 
that I will mow your lawn next week. <laughs> I don't have to do that because I didn't swear by the gold on the temple, you see. And it's, uh, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has, has made the gold sacred? And it's a lot the same thing. What's, what's more important, the name of God or the heavens that He created? What's more important, God and God Himself or the earth, which is His footstool? What's more important from Matthew 5? The sit, God or the city of God where He dwells and has made sacred? You see, what's more important? And he said, and if anyone, verse 18, swears by the altar, it is nothing. So it was acceptable to swear by the altar and not keep your oaths. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, then he was bound by his oath. All these man-made external rules. And Jesus, you can just turn back to Matthew 5. That gives you the idea of what Jesus is doing. And that's exactly what's going on in chapter 5. And Jesus says... That's not how it works. When you speak, you say yes, it means yes. And you say no, it means no. And do you know that this church should be so full of that kind of person springing from the Beatitudes, springing from the correction and alterations towards righteousness, that in essence, we should be able to be a paperless church. You want to buy a car off of me? I'll buy it. Price, bam, shake hands. No need for contracts. Technically, we should be able to buy and sell land and buy and sell houses among each other. And you know that if he said it, that's just the way it is. There's no need for us to go to the lawyer and and write up papers. You said it. Wow. And also makes you realize what a contrast that kind of people group is in a watching world where light shines in darkness. You see, if we are distorted by falsehoods, our light is dim or out. But you might not be convinced that it's that important. And I want to very quickly, in conclusion, I want to convince any naysayers why it is important to care about this. With a brief little Bible study, we're going to turn very quickly in our Bibles to probably four passages of Scripture. And I want to show you how important this is in the mind of God. I want to show you why as the people of God, why as the followers of Christ, we must care about truth and how how offensive that which is false is to God. And I'm giving you four or five verses out of 500 in the text of Scripture. Let's start to the left in our Bible in the book of Psalms and we'll move to the right And it won't be that difficult. Psalm chapter 15, I want to show you something. Reason number one that you should care about this. Reason number one that God cares about this is this. Integrity of speech is an essential characteristic of a holy life. Integrity of speech is one of the essential characteristics of a holy life. In other words, if you do not practice integrity and honesty in your speech, then you do not live a holy life. And we are clearly called to live a holy life. And the psalmist put it like this. In the beginning of Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? 
Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, who's allowed to have a relationship with you, God? Who of the living God, who is allowed to come into your presence? And the first thing he says is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Look at the end of verse 4. The one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, the one who keeps an oath even if it hurts. I told him I would do it. I don't have time to do it, but I will keep that oath. I will keep that promise. Oath, promise, same thing. Chapter 24 is almost identical in Psalm 24. Why should I care about this? Because integrity of speech is an essential characteristic of a holy life. Psalm 15, Psalm 24, look at verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So here's what you should say right now. Oh man, I cannot stand on God's holy hill. Here's what you should be thinking right now. I have a problem. Because I have falsified, I have lied, I accommodate mistruths, I distort things so that I look better, I, I parse and divide words so that I spin the meaning and that I really misdirect. And this is a good time to remind ourselves that none of us are worthy, even at our finest, by pulling ourselves up on our own bootstraps. I mean, if you go, I'm going to try so hard to tell the truth, I'm going to just do that, I'm going to tell the truth, you're going to fail. You can't get to God's holy hill in your own strength. You can't tell the truth enough. You will lie, you will slip up, you will not be allowed to be in His presence. And so that's why we've got to go to the one who is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. That's not that difficult to understand, right? How many get to come apart from Him? None. None. Zippo. That's it. Acts 4.12, when Peter was preaching, he said, For there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you much must be saved. One name, people. This is a good time to promote Tom's Sunday School class following here in a minute. Do, does Islam and Christianity worship the same God just in a different name? There is only one God. There's only one saving name. It's Jesus. And when you come to the cross and you admit your sinfulness and you say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have lied. I have stolen. I have cheated. I have thought bad thoughts. I cannot live up to your standard. My righteousness cannot exceed that of the Pharisees. And Jesus already said in this sermon, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Then we're doomed. Worse than that, we're damned. And so I need somebody who is the truth. Who I can hook my umbilical cord up to so that when I stand before God, I get credit for all of that truth. When God looks at me and I'm in Christ and I'm robed in the righteousness of Christ, God doesn't see me, the old dirtbag that I am. He sees Christ. It's the beauty of salvation. It's, it's the amazing of amazing grace, receiving what I don't deserve, the credit of all the truth, of a, as, as though I've never lied in my life, because I'm identified with Christ at the cross. That's salvation. 
And here's the amazing part. Every single lie I've ever told, am telling, or am going to tell, has already been paid for by Christ. And He took it on as though He's done it. He went to the cross as though He's the one who already told all your stinking lies and all of my stinking lies. And so God put Him to death on the cross for me. So you cannot... You cannot come to God. You cannot walk in holiness apart from integrity of speech. And once you know Christ and once you're covered by the blood, then we want to walk in holiness. Peter said it clearly. And be ye holy even as I am holy, he said. How do you do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. So this week, listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. Because when that lie slips over your lips, when that spin, when that distortion, when that false account when you check that box and you know it's not real if you're a believer in Christ this week the Spirit of God's going to nab you it's going to happen and you're going to have to say the integrity of a holy life demands that I tell the truth well very quickly let me just rattle off a couple things let me just say them to you we don't even have to turn there number two why does this matter Because lying couldn't be condemned any stronger in Scripture. Because lying could not be condemned any stronger in Scripture. One sampling is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16, 17, and 19, where he says two times in a list of seven things, these things are an abomination to God. And one of them is a lying tongue. And he who bears false witness is the other. In a list of seven things in Proverbs 6 that God says this is an abomination. It should not happen. Abomination is a strong word. One is a lying tongue and one who bears false witness. In the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira stood up in church and brought their money forward and said, Praise God, we sold the land and we're bringing this big old offering for the new modular program. And Peter says, thank you for your offering. Is this the, this, yeah, man, this is what God gave us all. We're giving it all to the Lord. Aren't we really holy? And God says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? You kept part of the money. You dropped dead right in front of the church. I think God doesn't care about the truth. That was post-cross. That was after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And he drops dead right in a New Testament church. I'm kind of glad that God stopped that program. He did it once for this like super ultra on steroids visual aid about how abominable lying is to him in the church. Thirdly, lying and distortion are the devil's dialect. Lying and distortion are the devil's dialect. John 8, 44, when he speaks his language, the devil speaks lies. It's why God hates it so much. It's because it's of the devil. Lying and distortion is... It's a direct result of the fall. Number four, finally, my identity with Christ in salvation demands truth. Ephesians 4.25, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. You know what he says there in those verses? He said, don't let any lie come across your lips. That's how you used to live. You're now in Christ. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. In the old life... Oh yeah, you used to sit around your college dorm room and spew out lie after lie after lie and laugh and carry on. But in your new life, you don't do that. 
In your old life, you'd think nothing of filing forms that were false and clicking with your mouse the arrow on the, on the form, giving the wrong answer and knowing you were lying. In your new life, we don't do that. And in fact, in those verses also is implicit, how could I lie to my brother in Christ? It has direct implications to the church. We are one in Christ. How could I distort truth with you? Because you are me and I am you. How could I love my neighbor as myself, in essence, and lie to my neighbor? I wouldn't do that. Not in the new life. In the old life, not in the new life. In Christ, it's all different. Let's bow in prayer. Take just a minute. Think about how you're going to respond to this. Praise God that there is a grace that is greater than all our sin. And so right now with your head bowed, why don't you get the slate clean? Stop playing games with language and words. Words matter. God despises dishonesty. And so, Father, with our heads bowed and our hearts humbled before you, we recognize more than ever our need for Jesus and his righteousness to cleanse us of all sin. And then to be our intercessor and our representative, our liaison, because we can't do it. And so we want to be identified with Jesus and robed in his robes of righteousness and identified with His truth, and given credit for His truth, He who kept the law for us, we who break the law regularly. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to grow and learn from these lessons, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.